He's uh-huh. the one who wrote I Am Legend. Uh, he did uh, Poseidon, the remake. He he ruined Constantine and Starsky and Hutch. Lost in Space, he was a producer on. Oh, Lord, that was him? There was a podcast called The Sequel Cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. It's the sequel cast. Oh, it's the sequel cast. It's the sequel cast. www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast, a podcast about movie franchises where we take a look at movies in a franchise one movie at a time. Check out our website at sequelcast.com, send us an email at sequelcast at gmail.com, or check us out at twitter.com slash sequelcast. This is your host, Uncle Milkshake, and we're nearing the end of uh, looking at the 90s Batman films. With uh, We're going to take a look at Batman and Robin, directed again by Joel Schumacher, same guy that did Batman Forever. This movie came out in 1997, a mere two years after Batman Forever. And this time around, we have George Clooney as Batman. With me is Thrasher. Howdy, folks. And a special guest. Uh, Dr. Jason Woodrow. Dr. Jason Woodrow. We have a lot of doctors coming on this show, it seems. How do you do? So where do we start? He's clearly not a doctor of linguistics. Not a doctor uh, No, actually, uh, I am a doctor of botany. I was also the villain known as the Floronic Man. Floronic mm. Man. Excellent. Yes. So Batman and Robin, I mentioned uh, last episode. I, I know a lot of trivia from this from listening to, uh, there's an audio commentary on the DVD from Joel Schumacher himself that um, has some pretty interesting things that explain why the movie turns out the way it did. But How many times does he use the word toyetic? Uh, a few. He uses the word uh-huh. toyetic a few. But I think before I get into that, I... Uh, I want to mention, I remember seeing this movie during that summer it came out. I had just finished my first year in high school, and I really had to convince my mom to take my sister and I to see it. And five minutes into the movie, I just started cringing and sinking into my seat. I can probably guess when that was. Uh, guess. Yeah, was it when Mr. Freeze comes on the screen? You got it. And yep. starts as a first of many ice-related puns. Which there's a hilarious clip on YouTube of all the Mr. Freeze lines, one after the other after the other. Let's keep in mind though, it's not intentionally hilarious. It's just the principle that if you do something kind of funny, once it's kind of funny. You do it a whole bunch more times, it becomes boring and insulting. You do it even more times, and it becomes transcendently hilarious. <laughs> it's weird. You know what I was actually thinking to myself? I was reading somebody's comment on how different the uh, the Dr. Freeze from the cartoon and I kind of Mr. Freeze, not Dr. Mr. Freeze, sorry. He, well, he was a doctor. Well, I, I suspect that he had his, uh, his accreditation retracted. And again, as a doctor myself, I have to, I have to call him doctor. Um, he does have, he has a PhD, and also he was a scientist in cryo- or cryogenics, um, who did work for Wayne Enterprises. In the movie itself, <coughs> they bring up, they do bring up his uh, doctorate, though, he did the, um, his accreditation, don't they? I, I, I believe they I, might at some point. Or, I mean, the approach they took to Dr. Freeze's backstory with his wife is something... Mr. Modern, Freeze. Sorry, Mr. Freeze. Dr. Uh, Freeze is his father's name. I see. No, it's not. Uh, but, I mean, the approach they took to Mr. Freeze's backstory in this film, uh, Schumacher mentions in the commentary, is directly related to how they did it in the cartoon. Because what was it before when it was in the, the Batman TV show? He was just like some quipping guy in a, uh, a tin, not even a, like a, oh, it was like a, it was a, a, a silver jumper. Suit. It was a refrigerator, it was a, it was a sealed suit with a refrigeration collar because he had to be, his body temperature had to be kept below freezing or else he would overheat and die. And he was but played by Otto Preminger. And Otto Preminger I'm, I'm was like the dumb. voice, I'm sorry, Otto Preminger was the voice of uh, one of the King of the Elves in the Hobbit cartoon we covered several episodes ago. That's cool. So there we go, the, the green one with the pointy ears. 
But you know what? But I, I was thinking about it, and you know who would have made a better, a better freeze? Who? Patrick Stewart? Uh, Doc Brown. Um, oh, Christopher oh, Lloyd? Yeah. yeah. Would Christopher Lloyd, <laughs> if he shaved off his hair, bald, I've seen him bald on a bunch of things, he could have made a, a still a scary and crazy Mr. Freeze, but just, just good. I have a, I just, seeing a really muscular man in that suit, they kind of needed it. Oh, here's actually a funny thing. The suit itself is based off of what happened in the comics when uh, Mr. Freeze sold his soul to Neuron the Devil. Uh, Mr. Freeze got an amazing high-tech suit that was actually powered by crystals. He needed to steal diamonds, but it gave him more power and more control. Um, Why couldn't the demon just give him super strength? Well, he made him bulkier, but he think he. But in truth, Mr. Freeze didn't care because he didn't really have a soul anymore. He, he gave up something that he thought he didn't have. So I mean, um, Doctor, you you brought up you brought up something. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people will use the term comic booky as a pejorative term. This movie is the most comic booky comic book movie you will ever see. It's, and I hope I'm not giving it all away, folks. But th- this movie, uh, it is, it is a movie based on a comic book that only exists in the minds of people who despise comic books. Yes. Well, it's also very. Oh, very camp and um, in its approach similar to the Adam West series but has an obviously very large budget with big scale costumes and special effects that is just mystifying uh, this is the Batman movie they made but part of the reason is uh, Joel Schumacher after doing Batman Forever uh, claims that he wanted the next Batman movie to be Batman Year One because he loved that uh, comic so much. Mm. But the studio didn't want him to go dark, didn't want him to do an edgy Batman movie after Batman Forever was so successful. And oh, because Lord knows that the first two were terrible because they were dark and edgy. Well, sure. I mean, they're all very, uh, very big. Yeah, they were still funny. There were aspects of all the movies that have been funny so far. The only time that we haven't seen anything funny was, I guess, the redo was the reboot with uh, Christian Bale. That first movie, that's not funny. That's really dark and really real. The Dark Knight the has some humor have in it. Pain. But, oh, but oh, Batman second, Begins, yeah. But the second one, uh, you have an amazing performance uh, by... Um, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. I mean, that there were so many things to laugh at because you had a funny, cool, dangerous Joker. With this one... Everybody was trying to do, like, one-liners, and it was just full of, ugh. I, I have to groan every time I just think about a single line. From the studio, Joel Schumacher is told to make the movie more toyetic, which means think of as many excuses to have new action figures come out as possible. So new vehicles, new costumes. Right, even like though they, even though they Batmobile. had a perfectly good motorcycle or Batmobile before, they need a special ice Batmobile or motorcycle. And of course, Mr. Freeze's flying jetpack. And what didn't know? Wasn't there a vehicle for Mr. Freeze? Well, he had that. He had the jetpack. No, no, no. But I thought he had an actual like he had like a zamboni, or um. (laughs) Oh, I thought he had a tank or something. I can just see the commercials now. Wow, it's Mr. Freeze with his terror zamboni. And the hockey team from hell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Uh, God. So, Batman Forever was a movie. The one before this one had a lot of characters. You had Batman, Robin, and uh, Two-Face, and uh, the Riddler. But in Batman and Robin, you have a lot of villains. You have Mr. Freeze. You have uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. You have Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. Check. You have Bane, who in the comic was something... Pretty different, as I recall. Triple check. Yeah, this this movie this movie does it does so many things wrong. But one of the things it does wrong is that it takes it takes a really fantastic villain, the villain of Bane, and then makes him a third string villain. You know what his rank is? He's senior sidekick. That's what he is in this film. <laughs> no, he's absolutely right. Uh, the real Bane in the comic books is responsible for breaking the bat. He's known for breaking. Bruce Wayne's spine. That comic arc was called Nightfall, I believe. Yes. And that was really pretty cool. 
that was amazing because then he had all these people who thought, oh, I'm going to be the next Batman. And Which he is had this kind of similar to what to the earlier um, death of Superman arc, mm-hmm. where he had uh, true. people coming out. But this one had a lot more, like, nobody, none of the readers in the, during the Superman's death and Superman return, uh, everybody's like, oh, which one's really Superman? Which one is actually Superman? In this one, there wasn't anybody, we, there wasn't anybody that we, like, knew wasn't Bruce Wayne, because Bruce Wayne's in a wheelchair trying to learn how to walk again. Which is better than Christopher Reeves? No, no, I'm just talking about the breaking of the spine. Because in truth, like, uh, yeah, probably somebody's going to be debilitated for the rest of the life. Bruce Wayne, because he's such a popular character, he does heal and he goes back to being Batman after having to beat the crap out of all the pretender Batmans, especially Azrael. It's such a shame we don't get to see any of this on screen in Batman or Robin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know. I mentioned, we talked about Mr. Freeze in the beginning, but um, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy, I think, isn't too bad with what she has to work with. No, I will, I will actually, I will, I think she's so awful, she not only brings this movie down, but she, she does a disservice to herself, and I well, blame Schumacher, and I blame Avi, whatever his face is, um, Akiva Goldsman, Avi Goldsman, Akiva, I, I looked at what stuff he's done before. He is, frankly, awful. He is possibly <laughs> the worst person I... He did Hancock. He's uh-huh. the one who wrote I Am Legend. Uh, he did uh, Poseidon, the remake. He he ruined Constantine and Starsky and Hutch. Lost in Space, he was a producer on. Oh, Lord, that was him? Yeah, but he does Fringe now. I want my eight bucks back. He writes Fringe, and everybody's like, oh, Fringe is great. But I can't imagine it being great if he's one of the head writers. And Da Vinci Code, he wrote the screenplay. And uh, uh, Practical Magic, which is one of my favorite movies. But even then, I can see the problems. Mm. It is, ah, there's a bunch of stuff I don't like him for. So, so Poison Ivy is a real sort of sex kitten character. They're almost trying to do a villain again that's similar to Catwoman in that respect. Have a, yeah. have a flirty female villain for Batman to contend with. Well, the thing is, I, I actually, I, I prefer Poison Ivy when she's at her most empowered. I, I don't, but I don't like, the only time I like Poison Ivy being flirty in when, is when she's just on the verge of putting some sort of scheme into action that involves poisoning someone. You know when I liked her? I liked her when Gotham was caught by that uh, earthquake and was completely destroyed. When she took over Gotham Park and was mm-hmm. protecting the children of the city and basically messing with anybody who wanted to kill the animals on her land or, or steal any of her fruit, she was basically a goddess huh. at Paradise. What was that well, run in looks... the comic called when they had... Uh, whole... It was called Cataclysm? I think, I think you're right. Okay. That was the earthquake. I'm trying to remember when... when uh, Oh, when Gotham was closed, I'm trying to remember what it was called. Was that like about ten years ago? Oh, I couldn't tell. Well, you know that's one of the things about Poison Ivy. Uh, uh, she this this is the uh, this is I guess this is really p- part of the real tragedy of this film is uh, Mr. Freeze uh, has really strong the ideal Mr. Freeze, not the Mr. Freeze in this movie, has, you know, really strong emotional motivations behind every, even though he's cold on the outside, everything he does is sort of a, is dri- as misguided as it can be, is driven by a very deep, very true love. And and Poison Ivy is a character with a very strong moral center. Uh, much of the time she is, you know, she she is, she is protecting something. Yes, often with lethal force, but she is, you know, she is doing what she feels is best for for an endangered species or for uh, for attractive land. I feel her moral center, really, the moral center of both those characters is completely lost. They're just cackling, mustachioed villains with no motivation other than being evil. Well, look at look at Arnold Schwarzenegger's performance when he tries to be like. Um, when he tries to like feel emotion, and when he's trying to be like uh, calm, and I guess when the director wants him to be sympathetic, and he kind of has that calm—I don't know the right word for it—calm caringness about him. 
I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, and then Uma Thurman, yeah, you're right, she's a cackler. But I saw the same performance in uh, Percy Jackson and The Lightning Thief, which she's also very horrible in. Um, whenever she plays these villains, she seems to go over top and no director tells her to tone it down. She's had really good performances, like in Baron Munchausen. And also uh, Tarantino Kill Bill. gets these amazing performances out of her. I mean, she she is a good a good actress, but but yeah, in this, well, you know, you you it, it was you had talked about the material she has to work with. This material is so far beneath her that even the best she can do with it is horrible. Ooh, ooh. But I, I think by comparison, I feel she's better than Schwarzenegger in this film. And the, oh, really? the only reason Arnold Schwarzenegger agreed to be in this movie is Joel Schumacher went to him and says, we need you as Mr. Freeze, because if you don't accept the role, I'm not going to do the movie. And, oh, really? And Schwarzenegger felt like, well, I can't really refuse that, can I? Yeah, you can. You should have. <laughs> well, you hear me, Schwarzenegger? You should have. That would make a great Elseworlds. What? In, in Elseworlds. <laughs> what if Schwarzenegger... what if Schwarzenegger turned the part down and Schumacher left the movie? Then we'd all be better for it. I'm still trying to think of who would make a better Mr. Freeze. You said Christopher Lloyd, which is inspired. Lloyd. I could see him. You know, um, the thing with Christopher Lloyd, if you gave Christopher Lloyd all the same lines that Schwarzenegger had in this movie, <laughs> I bet he could perform them with a real creepy, quiet menace. Although, yeah. in my heart, I will still go for Patrick Stewart. I would like love to see Patrick Stewart as Mr. Freeze. I don't think he is the wild abandon. Mr. Get... Freeze, I don't think Mr. Freeze should have Wild Abandon. I mean, Abandon. I mean, to, to forgive the pun, I like Mr. Freeze when he's cold and calculating and distant. See, Iceman Comet, Revenge is a dish, a dish bet served cold. Oh, Everybody I've ever heard. <laughs> Quite possibly the worst impression I've ever heard of sorts Let, of Let's hear Which yours, Doc. Which one? Oh, what? Wait, I don't have... Uh... Okay, I'll do one. Hold on. Um... You're not sending me to the cooler. Oh, Lord, that long. <laughs> hey, hey, here's a fun I'm game. I'm afraid my condition has left me cold to your pleas of mercy. <laughs> That's well, awful. I, I, I can't even... With all the awful lines of dialogues and the performances in this, that I find Batman and Robin somehow easier to watch now than Batman Forever. Because Batman uh, I... and Robin, it's sort of like you were saying earlier, Will, it goes so bad that it kind of goes to being good again somehow. And it's, I don't I, think I said that. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody said that ever. <laughs> well, that's what I feel about Batman. Don't misrepresent me. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk a little bit about Chris O'Donnell, the only guy who's actually back from the original movie, right? Well, Alfred. Or back from the last one. The Alfred is the same in the four Batman films. Oh, that's I true. Guess, but Anyway, but yeah, yeah Chris O'Donnell... Chris O'Donnell, at least now they have him acting a bit older, and it's not quite as uh, ineffective as he was in Batman Forever. But he's still childish, and everything tries to be funny. He doesn't actually mature at all as a character, I feel. Yeah, I, I would have preferred a younger actor. I, I really think I would. I mean, he, he doesn't look like an acrobat. He looks like a, a bodybuilder. He does look good on a bicycle, though. Mm. He does look good on a motorcycle. And then that leads again to... How the hell we get Alicia Silverstone in this movie as Barbara Wilson in that that race when they're racing the motorcycles on the bridge? Uh, well, you don't need Batgirl in this film either. This film is already cluttered oh. with too many fucking characters. And then, and then, how how do they shoehorn her in? They don't go with the elegant story of her being uh, Commissioner Gordon's daughter. No, instead, she is Alfred's mysterious niece. Who oh, shows up at the Batcave, and then Alfred t- practically hands shows up. She shows up at Wayne Manor uh, unannounced, and then Alfred bas- hands her unrestricted access to the Batcave, and apparently has a bat suit waiting for her. Or did Bruce Wayne? Or was Bruce Wayne always secretly hoping that he'd get a lady sidekick, so he already had that made up? But it'd have to be fitted. The nipples have to line up in everything. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing you can say about this film: rubber nipples. Uh, yeah, the and design no one... of the costumes. I actually have the Robin action figure somewhere in my house. Are there nipples? Uh, but the colors, they try to make everything look more metallic, and I guess more... Everything was brighter in this movie. All the greens and reds, and then even the 
even the colors of the cold were warm, cool colors, if that makes any sense. Well, everything in this movie lights up. Yep, a lot of neon. Yeah, oh, that's another thing, yeah. I mean, I find it really makes it hard to look at. There's so much garish color. It's like the whole film was, was shot in, in the middle of a rave, and not a good rave. <laughs> and then Batgirl's costume, again, Batgirl for me will always be a redhead. That also annoyed the hell out of me. Yeah, it really does feel like it's not just like a, a lazy interpretation of the character. In many ways, it does feel like a betrayal of the character. Yeah, it's it's like you just throw in this girl, put her in a Batgirl costume. She has no connection to any character we care about because we haven't been made to care about Commissioner James Gordon at all through any of these uh, sh- uh, movies. Because, again, he's always been this kind of like sluggish, older man that in no way makes connection well, to Batman. There's no Batman coming in through the window. When Commissioner Gordon is played by the same actor in uh, Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin. Yeah, Pat Hingle. Pat Hingle, right. Who looks, he looks old and stuff. If you had started him off as Detective Gordon and then made him Commissioner by this fourth movie. But again, then you might as well have Harvey Dent being Two-Face in the last movie, played by Billy Dee Williams. I just find so many things annoying about continuity and just choices. I know the studio is the ones who's giving you money, but there has to be some kind of cohesive vision that a director should stick by. Sure, and, and I mean, Joel Schumacher ex- accepts the blame for this movie. George Clooney has accepted the blame for this movie. We haven't even He's talked about... George Clooney as Batman. George Clooney. Well, you know, that kind of upsets me because I actually, I, I, I don't know if I want to say I'm a fan of George Clooney, but I do find him very charming. And I really like, and I like George Clooney as Batman. More importantly, I like him as Bruce Wayne. I, I think he makes yes. a perfect, you know, charming millionaire playboy. Yep. I hate him as Batman. I despise his Batman. I just can't get over, the, number one, the costume, and then the lines being delivered. When you have a cow on your head, you should not be delivering the lines like that. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. no difference between his Bruce Wayne and his Batman. That's, that's okay. Yeah, that, that is a bit of a problem. Maybe that's why I like him more as Bruce Wayne. Then again, it's the whole thing, oh, Clark Kent has glasses. Superman doesn't. Bruce Wayne doesn't wear a cowl. Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed like Batman? <laughs> is that Christopher hey, Walken hey. asking that? Yes. Yeah. That was Christopher hey, wait, what, asking what if Christopher Walken was playing Mr. Freeze? No, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, here's what you can't resist. What if, what if Woody Allen was playing Poison Ivy? I'd like to see just, what if Woody Allen had played. Plants. What if Woody Allen had played uh, had played uh, Jason Woodrow, who is killed? by Poison Ivy, by Dr. Pamela Isley, because he kills her and throws her down a chute full of vines or something, or injects her with the same stuff that's injected into Bane, but she becomes a super-powered... But again, plant. having the boss kill his female assistant, that's very similar to Catwoman. True, and she does come get her revenge, but it's in, like, the first 20 minutes of the movie. Yep. It's also just such a stereotypical mad scientist. Crazy hair, too many lenses on his glasses. Well, actually, if you go by what if you go by the comics, Jason Woodrow is actually a wood being from another dimension who just wears artificial skin. He just sprays on this skin onto his body, but underneath there, it's all wood. Are, are we are we talking pre-crisis or post-crisis continuity? Uh, this is Pre-crisis and post-crisis. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, actually, he he survived. The story is, uh, survived. There's actually a really good one uh, from Batman Chronicles, I believe, where it has the Floronic Man making or making lots of money off uh, marijuana growth and making it mm. even more psychedelic and such, and actually making a very potent batch. But taking himself, he becomes he just starts to hate, like not care about covering his whole body with the uh, the fake skin. So at times he's just walking around like half his face on and half the face with the wood protruding. It's a weird character. He's been cut up and chopped up and come back. and Yeah, he's kind of like Swamp Thing, except weaker and a doctor. Well, that's true because we, we all know Swamp Thing isn't really the doctor. 
He is an aggregate being that absorbed the memories of a dying doctor. Okay, true. Then uh, Jason Woodrow's uh, a wood is a wood tree being from another dimension. Completely. This different. is another one of those movies where you can gauge the quality by how little <laughs> we're willing to talk about it. Well, oh, let's let's uh, let's talk about another character. There also is another villain-ish with Misbehaven. Oh, no. Do you guys remember, or did you even pay attention to Misbehaven? Well, I, I have a confession to make. While I've seen the entirety of this film, I've never seen it all in one go. I, I usually <laughs> can't get more than forty-five minutes into a section. <sighs> Misbehaven was kind of the uh, not the love interest. She was Mr. Freeze's floozy. Yeah. Yeah, wait a minute. Why would Mr. Freeze have a floozy? He's well, that's not a She hangs around him because he steals money and stuff. But she's like, I guess, his doctor girlfriend, but he has no interest in her? One of them's frigid. Ooh. That's a pun they didn't use. But yeah, the whole thing with Mr. Freeze, if anything, he shouldn't be keeping anybody around. Um, oh, one of the cool things that he did... In, uh, I'm trying to remember if this was in the cartoon or if this was in the comic. He was free, he 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 decided that like this was the end for him. He decided this was completely the end. He breaks into a ice skating rink, and this girl is ice skating, and she freaks out, and she doesn't want to get killed. And he's like, then spin, and as she's spinning, he freezes her. Then his uh, his compatriots come by. It's like okay, what are we stealing? He's like, we're not. And he freezes his entire gang. And he's about to set a a giant explosive that would not explode, but would freeze in a large area so that he himself would be surrounded like a pharaoh by all these people that he wants to take with him into the afterlife because he feels he can maybe die this way. But of course he doesn't. Batman's able to uh, stop him before he does. Yeah, I mean, there there are so many rich stories you can tell with a Mr. Freeze character, and then here, what is it? Oh, a diamond heist to build a freeze ray. <sighs> a diamond heist. And they're freakishly large. They're comically large diamonds. Oh, and so is the ray. The ray is this, like, massive... Uh, it, they put it in a... Uh, an observatory, as I recall. Thank you. I want, I want to say an astronomy dome. <laughs> <laughs> Hand me that king hat. <laughs> oh, oh man that's a good word you know, but yeah yeah so they're stealing diamonds we can build his damn freeze ray to freeze the city and not cure his wife of her condition actually that goes back to the old Adam West Batman every villain had a gigantic piece of equipment like a giant key copier or a giant <laughs> candle or, or a, a giant, giant coffee cup ray. or a giant popsicle yeah what the hell? Ah, that prop department, man. Whew. We know a that? lot of those props reappeared on uh, Lost in Space and Village of the Giants. Hmm. But yeah, like, just some of the people in this, and some of the looks of the city, it was kind of evolving to be a more friendly-ish film, I guess. Well, you know, it's felt like the city is That's so, like... like- so many buildings stacked on top of each other and crazy spires. It looks like a city out of Warhammer 40,000. Interesting comparison. Yeah. And again, with more color and more lights, it seemed... I don't want to say it was as garish as like a Las Vegas. Um, but man, they try to be so comedic with even the environment. I mean, the vines look so fake. And the giant... What was the deal with the with the the apes drumming on? Oh God! What was that? That forest? It was a rainforest. Uh, yeah, it was some sort of like fancy dinner, but everything was like crazy jungle themed. And then we got Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy doing a gorilla striptease. <laughs> oh, and then the other thing is that, of course, the reason we need a Batgirl is because Batman and Robin become entranced by uh, Doctor Pamela Isley's. She's another doctor. Um, by her pheromone yeah, scent. By her floral, yeah, her floral. Yeah, yeah, one of the traits of the Poison Ivy character has always been she's been able to concoct perfumes and plant-derived enzymes that function kind of like love potions and mind-control filters. And yeah, yeah, she uses it on Batman and Robin. 
Which is, again, another reason I want to talk about the cartoon. If we do another episode, talk about the animated series, that Poison Ivy is so cool oh, compared yeah. to this Poison Ivy. Yeah, we'll talk about the animated series in the next episode, just focused on the animated series, maybe touch on the Adam West TV show. Well, we should probably touch on Mask of the Phantasm as well. Right, yeah. That was a feature length. And Batman well, Beyond. Yeah, we'll, yeah, is we'll, it, we'll touch on Should, all should that. we try to reconstruct and recap a semblance of what passes for the, the plot of this movie? I don't know if you uh, can. I mean, I, I did read an interesting... I think you got it, the, think you got it with the uh, freeze wants to build a giant ice ray. Um, why, why does a Poison Ivy work with him again? She, she wants to, like, wipe out... She wants, like, a, a new ice age to swipe the earth clean so her mutated plants can grow... Her, her, and, and one of her mutated plants it's like a rose with a snake's head complete with fangs what purpose what fever dream inspired her to create that her, her, her animal plant snake hybrid I mean it's just there it's just there to be an interesting special effect but it's not but it's only interesting because it's not that good of an effect it's like an animatronic puppet with only one point of articulation and it only moves about 20 degrees Actually, you bring up a point of articulation in the jaw. You bring up a really cool idea. What if you actually had a bunch of Batman rogues who actually cared so much about the the Earth? Because a, you've got Pamela Isley, who wants to bring a new Eden, who wants to build a, basically her own paradise. You mm-hmm. have Rachel Ghoul, who believes that the chaff has to get cut. We've got too many people on this world, so they have to be cut down so that humanity can start again. Um, you've got, oh, who else? Who else is a, a weird hope for the future? You know, that might be it, at least as far Freeze as, like, the, the core. Wants to, like, destroy everything. Freeze just wants to kill everybody and have a new Ice Age where nobody can exist and nobody can be happy. Uh, well, in this movie, so, yes. Uh... Well, no, also in the thing. It's all about himself. It's like everybody should be as cold. Everybody... If everybody's frozen, then his wife is equal to everybody, including himself. Hopefully he can kill himself that way. Um, okay, that's true. But I guess with Pamela Isley, her, her, her motivation is life, but it's a new life without all these humans around. But you need humans because you need that carbon dioxide. and It's the whole thing with, oh, if you kill all the humans, then plants will die as well. well how, how so? Um, no, because the, uh, it's the idea that uh, that plants without animals or anything breathing in wouldn't allow for well, yeah, natural. You, you specifically said humans. You didn't say animals. I'm sorry. I meant. I meant. Uh, I meant both. Uh, you need live. You need living creatures other than plants for plants to exist. Oh yes. But then at the same time, if we did get rid of a bit of our population, the Earth might be able to recover. That's also one of the ideas behind uh, one of Rachel Ghoul's, uh, one of the comics that Rachel Ghoul uh, is in. Um, the idea that humanity can start anew with good leaders who teach them to respect the earth. Somebody like Dr. Pamela Isley, or somebody like Rachel Ghoul, who would become, of course, the emperor and the architect of the human, a new humanity. But again, you, know you can see, expect? we've just spent 15 minutes talking about Batman comics. And not very much time talking about Batman and they, Robin. I wish if they had been if they had been more respectful to the source material, this movie could have worked. Even with the cast, even with kind of a, a maybe a little bit of a better script, just something to make us care. You know what I don't care about. The way they tried to shoehorn some cheap pathos into this movie by deciding that Alfred was dying of the same disease that Mr. Freeze's wife had. Oh, God. So, of course, what happens in the end? Uh, Mr. Freeze finds out and gives Batman the cure. So Mr. Freeze was sitting on the cure the whole time and didn't use it on his wife? I mean, sure. Well, I mean, maybe it stops the disease in the early stages, which might be what Alfred has. But this Alfred is sick and is going to die subplot just seems so tacked on. It doesn't even... It, it it should be something that unites things together because it connects to Mr. Freeze and it gives a, it gives a connection between Mr. Freeze and Batman. But it doesn't. It's just... 
it, it only seems to be there to allow Schwarzenegger to hand the two vials of, of cure to Batman and go, take two of these and cut me into morning. Uh, oh, I, then I am like, ranting like a motherfucker tonight. And then also look at kind of the ending where I guess Mr. Freeze does kind of become good or he becomes like less evil. But at the same time, he then goes after Isley because he feels that Poison Ivy has also uh, manipulated him as well. And, and Bane is there and, too, presumably. Yeah. Uh, oh, and we haven't even talked about Bane, who doesn't say a word through this whole movie. He's just a um, muscle man. He looks like a muscle Mexican Jeep wrestler. Swenson. Who is this Jeep Swenson? Oh, the actor that played Bane. Yeah. With a name like Jeep Swenson, it's a wonder he didn't have any career. Um, he is called the ultimate solution. He's dead. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. He died. You've got our quota. Yeah, if you're playing the drinking game, you drink now. He died in '97, uh, age 40. But he, he wrestled in the WCW as the ultimate final solution. That's a hell of a num- That's a hell of a name. I am the ultimate final solution. Big Brawl, Walker. Hey, he was on an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. And in the Hulk Hogan film, No Holds Barred. Uh, I guess what else can we say about... The only thing that I've liked through these movies that I've seen, I really do like the way they show off Arkham Asylum. Hmm. How so? Okay, in the last movie, you had uh, the Riddler going kind of crazy and, like, knowing who Batman is because he's, like, lost his mind. He's like, I'm the Batman. And you have the cutout, you see the gates, you see kind of Arkham. In this one, you get to see the cells. You see how they have to do extra protection for Mr. Freeze where they have to keep it refrigerated because he'll die without um, without a certain temperature. Um, he begins to... What is it? He doesn't begin to melt, but it's like something to do with his, the acceleration of his uh, blood, or well, I think I think it's like it's like heat stroke. He 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 gets heat stroke at room temperature. But yeah, there's there's like that idea that that there are special cells and stuff, and there there is a place where these people go. I would have liked to have seen a movie that does kind of like Arkham Asylum, where there's an escape attempt from Arkham. You know that it just occurred to me, like, because like if if this movie were made today, and they showed Arkham Asylum, I bet you'd see cameos from a lot of other villains just as they walk down cells. You'd see the Mad Hatter, you'd see the Killer Croc, you'd you'd see villains that they may not build a whole movie around just there to please the fans. I think there's a in modern comic book films. I, I feel at least with like Iron Man particularly, there's a lot more stuff in there to please the fans. Yeah, there's nods to the people who like the source material so much that they made a movie about it. As opposed to this film, which has contempt for the fans. <laughs> well, and contempt for the source material. I think you're right, Doctor. I think if they had done a film set in Arkham Asylum, you could do something interesting with that. There is a, a recent video game, Batman Arkham Asylum, which I've heard is pretty good. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I mean, just an idea of having Batman in a locked environment and being set in one environment for a movie with lots of enclosed spaces could be something pretty interesting. Well, also they've talked about, they were talking about having Arkham Asylum in the new movie with a bunch of cameos, like you go past a bunch of doors and then you see the Joker, but they couldn't do that um, because of somebody being dumb and dying before they could use them again. Ah, Such a waste. You know what's uh, kind of to abruptly change the tone? I had all day since, like, when I real when I woke up this morning, and as I often do, woke up realizing, oh gosh, I'm going to be uh, recording on a podcast later today. I've had something stuck in my head all day, and mm-hmm. that something is the Cold Miser song from A Year Without Santa Claus. <laughs> which, which, if you remember, there, there's a scene where like Mr. Freeze is in his lair with his henchmen. And they're watching that scene, and, and Mr. Freeze is there with, like, a brandy in one hand. He's wearing, like, a glitzy bathrobe. That's a brandy <laughs> in one hand, a cigar in the other, going, Sing, sing, I miss the white Christmas, I miss the snow, sing! And, and they're all, like, 
I, I like that he wants to keep his henchmen entertained, but I also imagine, does he have that one song stuck on loop? <laughs> do they fast forward the heat miser parts? Or like do or or does he just make them sing that because they know if they don't he'll freeze them to death? Or or is it just like or does he did he have a special DVD he burned or froze that's just uh, uh. It's just songs about snow. Like once that's over, you know, like White Christmas starts playing, and then once that's over, Winter Wonderland. And you know, I'm surprised that wasn't Italian for Batman and Robin. Mister Freeze's cool cuts. <laughs> was it actually? Was there like a Mister Freeze Slurpee uh, at participating Seven Elevens? I no, but there was a there was a Batman and Robin. No, there was a Batman and Robin. Uh, Ice Pop, uh, you know, like the gumballs for eyes that oh, was yeah. based off the movie with the same colors. Only uh, they were nipples. Not based off the cartoon. <laughs> but there was one, there was a Robin that was based off the cartoon later on, but there was one based off the Batman and Robin movies. I don't remember yeah. the name of Freeze, but there probably, there probably were other tie-ins. There wasn't an ice shave machine or anything like that. <laughs> and again, I don't think there was much in the way of things for... Uh, Poison Ivy, other than the action figure, um, <laughs> you could get like a you could get like a Poison Ivy Play-Doh set where when you press down on it, the Play-Doh comes out in the form of a flower. Aww, Madison nice. Avenue, uh, we're available. But you know, it's also really cool though. Their Poison Ivy is one of the favorite characters for women to uh, dress as from the Batman series. Oh yes, um, this costume. I remember there being a Batgirl costume based off this one at the time, and also the Batman and Robin costumes, which, sadly, I work for a a costume company, an actual store. I'm not going to say the name of it, um, but it has to do with Halloween, and uh, we actually still sell the Batman and Robin costumes from this movie. We still we have see- they've, they've been sitting in a warehouse, so they want to keep going to the store. Batman's hot, nobody. Well, you know, speaking of costumes, what's with the things over Uma Thurman's eyes? Because if a poison ivy doesn't wear a mask, but they they don't give her a mask in this, but they give her these like crazy leafy eye extensions, which I really find distracting. I think they were just trying to make her look more plantish. But she wears plants. But she, yeah, you're right. I thought it was stupid too. Makes her look like she has a unibrow of leaves, right? They, they couldn't give her nipples, so they gave her a unibrow made of leaves. I like that. But it's like Uma Thurman is sexy by her lonesome. She's sexy by herself. I I would have liked to have seen her as a redhead and a redheaded Batgirl fighting. That would have been hot. Oh, no, a young Uma Thurman is Batgirl. That would be pretty cool. Alicia Silverstone. Where is she now? And why did she do this movie? She was popular. And she was, you know, riding she high on Clueless and a few other movies. But she was in Clueless the is the one yep. thing people remi- remember her from. But where is she now? She, yeah, she she produced her own animated series, which she starred in Brace Space, and then hasn't really done anything in the public eye uh, since then. As I recall, uh, I could be mistaken. She may be concentrating on the stage. Well, huh? She's been doing, oh, she's doing stage movie. work. I didn't know that. She's doing a movie called Vamps. Oh, based on the comic book, I think. Hopefully. That actually would be really cool, because that's a good comic book. Uh, she also was in Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed. Uh, she was in Beauty Shop? Hmm, I, guess she, I guess she's been working more low-profile, then. Uh, that might not be her by her own doing. Um... Movie called Butter. I don't know what that's about. Um, but she used to be like she is. She used to be the hot ticket, and I guess they put her in because she was kind of big shit back then. She was cool enough to be like tough. You know who would have been great? Yeah. I would have accepted Liv Tyler as a Batgirl, even. Hmm. And that's the same time period. She was still pretty damn cool then. Okay. Oh, and then Aerosmith could have done a song for the soundtrack. And you could have had Alicia Silverstone as Poison Ivy. I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. Um, no, Angelina no, Jolie as Poison Ivy? No. Hmm. No, she would have to play Rachel Ghoul's daughter. Yeah. Ooh, she'd make a cool what is, is it, what is it Talia Al Ghoul? 
Yeah, would that, that would be a fun movie. Something like that. Because um, Talia doesn't mean daughter, I don't believe. I'm trying to remember what Talia means. Oh, man. Because Rachel mean Rachel Ghoul means head of the demon, correct? Something along those lines. Hmm. But again, with the with the people in this movie, would this movie have been better if Val Kilmer had come back? I don't think that would have no. been enough. I mean, once again, I'm happy with George Clooney, but I mean this for the, this movie, I think would have to be gutted and rebuilt from the ground up. Yeah, cut I'll... out, cut out a hero, cut out a villain. Tighten the script, make this whole disease subplot with Alfred work. I mean, I guess, I guess that's the, the sad thing is there there are enough parts in this movie to make one and a half really good movies, but somehow they use those parts to make one really shitty movie. It's like a car with seven wheels and three of them face different directions. <laughs> oh man, that's a that's a really good analogy. It's a very good analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Batman and Robin. It's I think it's funny to watch for its camp value if you want to have a few drinks and just watch something absolutely ridiculous. Or a few puffs. Or maybe even a couple of snorts. Um, <laughs> I, as a doctor, I would like to say uh, that anybody who has any kind of uh, neck problems or uh, possible uh, back injuries should not watch this movie because any cringing will aggravate those um, impairments or damages. <laughs> And there's lots of cringing in this movie. I can't watch it without cringing every five minutes. But you said I you said, cringed like every five minutes with Batman Forever as well, didn't you? You're not as often. No, I'd say every... Those were gentle cringes. Those I'd were caressing 15, cringes. I'd say 15, 20 minutes between cringes. Um, just some of those lines for Val Kilmer and uh, some of the um, Nicole Kidman lines, but... Not as much cringing as with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Every other... No, every line. Every line out of his mouth is cringeworthy. It just... It, it really... It does hurt me to watch this movie. Even though I'm not the biggest Batman fan, I feel Schumacher just treated the source material like a joke. It, as, a, as an actual fan of DC, I'm a really big DC fan. I just felt this was not funny. It just... It, it just the worst. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it would keep, uh, it, despite as, as prolific and popular as the Batman character is, it would it would keep the franchise off of theater screens for for almost a decade. You know, maybe that can be said as being one of the good things about Batman and Robin is it led to the eventual creation of uh, Batman Begins. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think we could have gotten that movie anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's just that we might have had another even possibly worse movie between the two. Of course, on the other hand, maybe they would have switched directors and you would have gotten a better continuing, a better continuing Batman movie, which might have made Christopher Nolan's unnecessary, although certainly just as missed. Oh, now here's something, since you brought Nolan again, I don't think that Nolan could ever use a character like Mr. Freeze, who has this, I guess, mad science behind him. Yeah, you, somebody you like, would have to. You would have to find a way to make the character very plausible. Well, not the character itself, because the motivations, I think, really work. But what he does, like his, look, the freeze race and things like that, you would have to make that stuff very plausible. And same thing you with know him, what? Uh... I think I just figured out how to do it. Ooh. You keep the core, you keep the notion that Mr. Freeze is a scientist specializing in cryonics or cryogenics. And you you keep the notion that everything he's doing is to is to save the life of his wife, who is in uh, who is who is frozen in a lab somewhere. But here's how you do it: he's become so obsessed with saving his wife that he is, in essence, has become a serial killer. He kills people, freezes them, and harvests the things from their bodies he thinks he's going to need to save his wife. And so he's very meticulous about the people he takes down because they have to be compat their tissue has to be compatible with their with his uh, with his wife's, but they also have to be people that he doesn't think will be missed because oh well if someone loves them I don't want to take them because then someone's going to feel as bad as I do to preserve his his moral center. No, I think I think he would hurt people so that they feel so that they would have empathy for him. So that they feel the same thing. 
that he's going through. Hmm. I also think that he'd get too easily caught. Well, anyway, we came up with it and we copyrighted it, I guess. So uh, if this movie gets made by Christopher Nolan, we demand our cut. Uh, Poison Ivy, I can only see her as an extreme environmentalist. I can't see the controlling plants thing. Any of those metaphysical, supernatural, paranormal powers can't work in an Nolan movie. The only thing that comes close is Scarecrow's fear gas, but that's like a real thing. That's just psychedelics released as dust or gas. Yeah, you'd have, you'd have to have Poison Ivy using plant-based neurotoxins, I suppose. Yeah. I'm trying to think, what other, what other villains? If they continue doing this kind of movie, if Joel Schumacher would have kept ruining the Batman house, <laughs> what other characters would he have ruined? Uh, okay, well, I'm thinking for the third, for the uh, for the, his third movie, uh, the the Mad Hatter, and uh, who who would be played by someone absolutely terrible for the role, I'm sure. Uh, but he would have to team up with a sexy lady villain. So uh, let's say, was it the Claw? No, the Claw and that whole conspiracy—that's its own movie. That. What about um Yeah, but they wouldn't they wouldn't realize that. They just throw it in there to have a sexy lady villain. Even then the claw was something from the cartoon, not the comic. Oh they could I'm sure they could have found a way to use it. I would probably go with Clayface two. No, Clayface three, which was a woman. Um but that would have been CGI, you wouldn't need more special effects for that that the budget would permit. Oh, I can't think of anybody else that I would hope he would even try to ruin. At the time, I was hoping that they'd make a Scarecrow and Mad Hatter movie. But if Joel Schumacher had touched it, I would have fucking hated it. Oh, yeah. Just again, I feel he has no respect for the source material. I I, I can't help but just hate that about it. With James Hatter. Or both in an amazing dual role. Actually, Jamie Kennedy... No, you know what? Now that I think about it, Jamie Kennedy would make a really creepy Mad Hatter. He could if he had a good director, I think, to put him in the right direction. He can act in some things. He actually can act in a few good movies. I'm not, I'm not knocking Kennedy. The Mask 2, or Son of the Mask. Mask 2, I can, I'll knock the movie. I won't knock Kennedy in it. Fair enough, I haven't seen it. But, uh, I, think they took some, I think they took some wrong cuts, and... Uh, we should definitely talk about that movie. That'd be interesting that be next the line, yeah. Um, so, we've talked a lot about Batman Forever. I think we Somehow. Yeah, somehow. And we've talked not no, a Batman lot, about, a lot the, about, about the comic books. Next week, we're going to do an episode of Sequel Cast focusing on Batman uh, TV series, the animated series. We might even touch a little bit on a, an animated theatrical film called Mask of the Phantasm. That was Batman Ooh, we should talk about the musical. Oh, oh, the unproduced musical of Batman? What do you mean unproduced? What are you talking about? We'll have to tune in next week. Talking about Batman the musical. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Villains, they're a superstitious and cowardly lot. Take it, Doctor. Oh, I don't remember the words. Something, something, they they always get caught. But they always get caught. They're a superstitious and cowardly lot. I don't know what that's from, but we'll find out next week on Sequel Cast. That's true. I will explain the origin of that, of that couplet next week. This is uh, Uncle Milkshake. Thrasher, somehow, still hanging on. <laughs> and Dr. Jason uh, Woodrow, all, also known as Jersey Jason. Saying, the goggles, they are useless. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> and it's also, the line is, the goggles, they do nothing. <laughs> No, it should be it should be cool out or whatever that awful line is. Chill. <laughs> <laughs>